For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Respecting traditions while embracing change. Stefano Domenicali has a clear approach to the evolution of Formula One. There are certain moments that you need to take with your own soul, your own spirit, your own heart. You need to always have in mind the bigger picture. You need to always have in mind what is the best for the sport we are managing. So I hope that I can be an inspirator of something that even the most traditional people will see as the need for our sport to develop. Domenicali is no stranger to success. While at Ferrari, he won a total of 14 drivers and constructors titles. And now he's determined to capitalize on the sport's recent explosion in popularity. Now the teams are stable, very profitable, competitive on the track. Uh, you see if you have two cars or two drivers fighting, the level of attention is mega. Therefore, the right answer is that uh, in the next months, do we need to stay with 10? Do we need to have a more team? So this is all topic that will be part of the discussion for the future. Hello and welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Joining me this week is a man who has a big impact on the present and the future of our sport. It's Formula One president and CEO Stefano Domenicali. Born in Imola, Stefano is widely known for his achievements as Ferrari's sporting director and team principal. Now, his purpose has shifted to ensuring that Formula One as a sport continues to grow. As you'll hear over the next 45 minutes, Stefano is a very articulate and interesting man, and he's also very passionate about the sport. He describes F1 as the family business, and he has the answers to a lot of the questions you might have about the future direction of Formula One. Stefano tells me what he thinks the ideal number of teams and races in a season is. He talks about the relationship between Formula One and the FIA, what he's expecting from the 2023 trip to Las Vegas, his admiration for Max Verstappen, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Stefano, it's great to see you again. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Tom. I think that... Uh, the energy that uh, we are uh, providing to the ecosystem is always great. What I feel, on the other hand, as you know, I feel still a bit moved on what has happened uh, in my region, in Italy, uh, because as you know, we have to cancel a Grand Prix, but that's just an effect on what is really big around uh, where uh, Imola is. You know, the, the effect on, the, on this uh, catastrophe is uh, is huge and after the days where the mics or the cameras are there then normal people forget but the people are living there and I know them a lot uh, you know they will suffer for many many months so that's really where I am now. You've had to make a lot of big calls in the last three years how tough was the cancellation of the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix for you? Well I think uh, the right word was painful 
but uh, absolutely the right decision that we have taken. Because the magnitude, as I said, of what is happening, what is there, is so big and so huge that you cannot even imagine if you're not uh, there. So, of course, you need to consider all the elements uh, and all the things that uh, need to be considered. And I think that, uh, you know, it was right. And also, I would say it was important to see that the level of understanding and the level of sharing this uh, decision was really fantastic because everyone understood what we were talking about. So, yeah. And uh, the right thing to do is uh, uh, try to help to minimize uh, the loss of that in pure technical respect. Uh, of course, it's not possible to recover the date this year. But what's on the table to be once again correct is really we are discussing to see how we can extend the contract for one year because uh, I think that place that deserve that and we're going to discuss the details very shortly in our future. And I hope your family and friends, are they okay? Yeah, they are fine, but I've got a lot of friends that unfortunately lost everything. And so also the gesture that Formula One as a community gave uh, in terms of substantial contribution to the recovery, it was, uh, there was a need. But, you know, you need to see these things. But... The beauty of our region is that we have people that, uh, you know, love uh, to take the smile and, and uh, not, not to blame anyone or not crying, just work and uh, recover. That's it. Resilience. Resilience everywhere. And that's where we are also here in Formula One. Stefano, we have so much to talk about, but can we throw it back five years? Because that's when you were last on Beyond the Grid. And a lot has happened in that time. Back then, you were running Lamborghini. But interestingly, at the time, you didn't rule out a return to Formula One. And here you are as president and CEO of Formula One. Is the job what you expected it to be? Well, to be honest, it's amazing to see that five years ago, and uh, I remember very well, but I didn't think it was so long behind. I think that uh, at that time, honestly, I didn't rule out, but it was totally, totally Mission Impossible, I would say, call, because I was very happy with my job. It was very exciting, a lot of things happening. And when I received the call from Chase Carey and from Greg Maffei, it was really a sort of, wow. And as always in life, there are some trains that uh, you, if you don't catch, you will, they will not get back. So I decided to take that uh, kind of a new adventure in a territory that I knew. And therefore, to say that I was not expecting what I'm doing, would be a wrong answer. So I would say in terms of uh, problematic or uh, things that you have to manage, yes. I knew the business, I knew what was going on, and of course uh, you need to consider this in the context of the living. You know, pandemic, post-pandemic, uh, political evolution, complexity, you know, team involvement, uh, media broadcaster, uh, evolution, and, and so on. So all these things are... Uh, very exciting, but in terms of a general framework, yes, absolutely. Can you remember where you were when Chase Carey rang you about the job? I'm asking that in the context of, you shared last time that you were in Dubai when Jean Todd rang about the, the big job at Ferrari. So, so just yeah. to complete the circle, what were you doing this well, time? Well, I remember very well because it was in, in, in our house in, in Monza. Uh, and uh, it was uh, basically the week after the Italian Grand Prix. And that's when I received the call. And I was not expecting that I need to give an answer in a very short time. So I need to 
you know, collect the family <laughs> and, uh, and discuss with them. And in one week, I had to give the answer back, which I did. And what did your wife, Sylvia, your children, Martino and Viola, what did they say? Because it, it was going to require a, a move to England and a complete change in lifestyle for them as well. Yeah, I think that uh, the answer from them was just impressive and so grateful to them because, I mean, uh, they were saying that's, that's your life, that's your decision. Of course, uh, it will change our life, but we took the approach of, uh, once again, opportunity instead of a problem. We had the, 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 the privilege of moving to London and giving the chance to our kids, even they're not anymore kids, to, to move and study in the UK. So changing uh, you know, the, the, the scholarship system, uh, changing the friendships, and changing the way. But as once again, I can say, it's just an opportunity to grow, to, to live an experience of a new life. So that was imp really good. And of course, with my wife, we shared that because she had to move, she has to follow the family business. And, and she has to follow, you know, normal life. So I'm really very, very grateful to, to her and to them because they understood. And, uh, you know, now, you know, they are with me and embraces this new opportunity of life in a great, great way. I love the way you refer to Formula One as the family business. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you think uh, I was born in Formula One, professionally speaking, even with my passion, my wife knows the business uh, very very well uh, my kids are well i would say interested yes but not really super fans but that's good to keep the feet on the ground because you know one of the problems that we know is happening to people that are involved in for one they believe that there is only for one in their life and it's not i discovered that when i left formula one and, and then uh, you had a different experience but uh, yeah it's a family business had you ever considered a move to England when you were still a, a team player, you know, leaving Ferrari for, for a British-based team? Uh, not really, Tom. I never received any, any offer or uh, opportunity, so I haven't thought about it. But uh, in terms of my mental approach, I, I was always open to any challenge that I would love to do it. And the, the, the territory, of course, is not a limit. It is true that, you know, I love my country. Uh, Italy is a beautiful place to live and to, and to have your life. But also this, uh, this experience doesn't, uh, uh, you know, interfere with that possible return back and stay where the place where I love. But, uh, yeah, no, the territory or the lands or the country is not uh, a barrier for me. This is NASCAR driver Tony Breidinger, inviting you to make a pit stop at Raising Cane's for my favorite craveable chicken fingers. Turbocharge your order and get it even faster when you order online or with the Raising Cane's app. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. One love. Raising Cane's is not affiliated with NASCAR. Stefano, back to running Formula One now. Do you feel the weight of responsibility that comes with the job? Well, you have to feel it in the right way because I think that uh, it would be not responsible uh, not to consider the fact that uh, you are, uh, you know, you need to take decision that has effect uh, on a lot of people and a lot of business on a lot of things. So if you don't feel it, uh, as I said, you're not responsible. So yes, but you have to leave that in the right way because if the weight is too, is too heavy, then uh, you don't you're not uh, right in take the decision that you should. So I would say I feel it. And uh, I prefer to take me in front of the mirror more with my duty rather than to what I should have. 
So that's really my approach, which I ask also to the people that are working together with me. You know, we have, a, as you said, Tom, great responsibility that we need to take because when you are in this position, you know, there's not other people. And there are certain moments that despite you have the best team, which you need if you want to be successful, you know, you are in front of your mirror, you are alone. There are certain moments that you need to take with your own soul, your own spirit, your own heart, your own head, because that's life. Tell me more about your approach. I mean, Formula One has only had three bosses. Bernie Ecclestone, Chase Carey, Stefano Domenicali. How are you doing it differently to the other two? Well, I think that it would be wrong to say to me that I'm doing things differently. What I can say is that I'm doing my own way, having huge respect from what uh, uh, Bernie did. He created this. And in a period uh, that was uh, impossible to think that uh, he was able to deliver such incredible growth. Then we had four years of uh, chase. We had the, the very difficult task, uh, you know, after more than 60 years of Bernie's uh, era, to take uh, the Formula One to a different step. He has to focus in a very clear mandate, a very clear objective, and uh, he did an incredible job. There was, uh, you know, a lot of skepticism because he was coming from a different world, from a different dynamics, and I think that he delivered something really very, very important. And now it's me that has to keep growing this business knowing that uh, I know this sport because I was born in this sport, but I have also responsibility of understanding how the world is evolving in terms of sport, in terms of entertainment, in terms of business. And I'm doing with my, my style, try to work on the point of contact rather than in the point of diversity, uh, of different opinion, I would say. Because at the end of the day, I love to, to share the things, I love to try to engage with the people, but of course there are certain moments when you, have to take the decision. So I hope, because I've just started uh, almost three years ago, I hope that uh, the legacy will stay and, and my commitment for sure up to the moment where uh, I, I will not be in this position will be total. Bernie always said he was a firefighter. Are you? Well, firefighter, I don't know if it's uh, the right word, but uh, I would say firefighter means that the fire is already in the house. I would prefer to avoid having fire and, and, and try to manage this because that's part of the nature of the sport, the nature of the business, the nature of the people. So uh, controversy is an element uh, that uh, characterizes uh, not only Formula One, characterizes our life. And uh, once again, there are certain moments where this is needed. This is part of the business. But of course, if you want to grow, you need to always have in mind the bigger picture. You need to always have in mind what is the best for the sport we are managing, because otherwise, if you fall into the trap of following too many details, uh, you get dragged down with them. So I would say, I hope that I can be an inspirator of something that even the most traditional people will see as the, the need for our sport to develop. How far ahead are you looking then? I mean, is it all 2026 or in your mind, are you ahead of that already? I think that um, I will be presumptuous to know what is happening already in two years' time. But I need to have uh, the vision that is built not only on the feelings, but also in trying to understand what are the dynamic or the elements which I need to study in order to try to assess 
as much as we can in the best way that we can the future. You know, the speed of change uh, that is uh, w w present in the, in the life that we are living is so impressively fast and quick that, uh, you know, things that uh, just one year ago seems to be impossible to achieve, you know, has been achieved in a blink of an eye. Therefore, uh, you know, you need to also to have uh, the right calm and the right vision to make sure that you understand the things that can change. And the most important thing that you have to do, or what I have to do, is to make sure that we take decisions that can be changed, because life is like that. I remember just a couple of years ago, a little example. People were saying, ah, the young generation are not interested anymore to have so incredible sound of the engine. It's disturbing. Actually today, even the young generation, even the young fans that are approaching for one now, wants to have sound back because it's part of an emotional journey when you're coming here that you want to feel. So if I remember how steady people were when they were talking about that and how the things have changed in such a short time, that shows how complex is the future management and how you need to be good in order to have a structure that is able to react as quickly as possible and uh, uh, because that's uh, the nature of our, our life today. And has someone like Chase helped with your long-term planning? For sure, he, he put the base on certain things that are related uh, to, for example, the budget cap that they gave the value to the business as um, take the, you know, the step of being a, a poor business with the, with the other element that we're not knowing in Europe, coming from a different experience. And I think they were very, very important for what we're doing today and for what we're going to do for the, for the next future, next year. You were team principal of Ferrari for seven years. How useful is that experience now, now that you've gone poacher turned gamekeeper? Well, it's for sure very useful because you know the dynamics that you have from the t with the team cap when you want to talk with the uh, commercial right holder organization or when you want to talk with the, with the business itself. So as absolutely vital. And I think that uh, helped me also to understand the nature of the complexity of this ecosystem. Therefore, uh, I think that uh, in a way, in this moment after the chase period, has been beneficial because the dynamic uh, that uh, we are living today are not very different from what I was living when I was in that role. How important are Ferrari to Formula One? For sure, Ferrari is very important to Formula One because it's a part of the legacy of, of, of our sport. And as you can see, when you go around the world, there is still a lot of tifosi that are pushing for, for the team. Uh, what is important is that uh, Ferrari keeping and believing in Formula One as a future and uh, investing as much as they can. There are other teams, other, uh, other legacy that are now very, very strong in Formula One. And one thing that I'm saying to myself that I can say and share with uh, my friends of Ferrari that uh, believing that only looking behind is creating the right foundation for the future is wrong. So you need to keep the, you know, the, the myth alive thinking that Formula One will always be part of the bigger project of Ferrari. And that's really what I really hope that will happen because uh, you know, I cannot see Ferrari not being part of Formula One. And now that you have a macro view of Formula One, do you have a hierarchy of teams in your mind or do you feel obliged to treat all 10 teams equally? I think that in my role, I need to consider that the sport can grow only if uh, the majority of all the teams can grow. 
that was one of the fundamental of the budget cap to give a, a credible uh, financial stability to the value of the franchise of the team. And uh, the more you are uh, able to have a competitive field, the more you may have uh, interesting races, the, to, the more you can create the interest on in the sport. And that's for sure very, very important. It is clear that there are situations where the, the, the interest for one of these teams is bigger because they are investing and believing this is the real project on which to develop other things. And therefore, it's important that we give the, 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 the sustainable financial stability for each of them to make sure that everyone can do that. But if you look what has happened in such a short term, talking about the value of a team, uh, at the time that it was not many years ago, I would say two years ago, when the, the new Concord Agreement has been signed, when there was the talk about, you know, what is the value of a team that has to come in for one, there was a, uh, a number put on the, on the Concord Agreement that was uh, 200 million, which seems unreachable because there were teams in the past that were sold by one pound. Now the market is offering almost billions to teams and they are, not, and they are refusing that. Can you imagine that? So that gives you the perspective of what we are building as, a, as, a, as an ecosystem. We are building important structure, important uh, dynamics in which, you know, the more everyone is growing, the better and, and, the, and the strongest is the, the business platform which we are all working in. So the current Concord Agreement is just a couple of years old, but there is talk of renewing it, discussions for a new one are happening. While we're talking teams, how many teams do you think should be on a Formula One grid? This is a very interesting question, Tom, because as you know, there are different positions uh, and there are also legal implications what we have to say. I think, to be honest, uh, if the real value that is bringing to the sport is important and is real and stable for the future, there is also another consideration you have to take. If the contest that is growing is what we can see today, I think that 10 teams are uh, more than enough to create the show or the business and the attention that we want to see on the track. So there is an evaluation going on today that involves the FIA and us to make the right call for the future. And this is something that is also connected to the future discussion that will happen uh, with the renewal of the Concord Agreement that we need to remember that is expiring in 2025. So we have still a long time to go. But uh, yeah, it's an evaluation that we need to take uh, considering what I said in this period of time where uh, in the past there were teams that were coming in, getting out with a zero value. Now the teams are stable, very profitable and very strong in terms of also technical capability to be competitive on the track. Therefore, the right, the right answer is that uh, in the next months it will be a very important point of discussion that we need to tackle. That is, uh, do we need to stay with 10? Do we need to have a more team? or we can give the uh, exemption to future possible team to be really very, very strong and can join the Formula 1. So this is all uh, a topic that will be part of the discussion for the future. But with your promoter's hat on, would you like to see more than 20 cars? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, personally, that's a personal opinion. As I said, I need to say that because it's, it's something that uh, uh, if you have a good show, 20 cars are more than enough. Uh, you see, if you have two cars or two drivers fighting, the level of attention is mega. So if you have already two teams fighting, that means four cars. 
it's just incredible. So can you imagine 20 cars, so 10 teams uh, at the level where there is a competition on the track? It would be impressive. So I would say let's wait and see. My no is not uh, uh, against someone wants to come in. I need to clarify that because otherwise it seems that they want to be protectionist. That is not the case. I want to see the right one. And I need to also respect the ones that have invested in for one in, 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 in the last period because we forget it too quickly the respect. And, and now everyone wants to jump in the, in the coach that is very fast. But we need to be prudent. We need to take the right decision. That's what I'm saying. Stefano, you say we only need two cars to make a good race, and of course that is true. But when we look at 2023, it seems to me that the gaps in the field are bigger than we were expecting, given the new regulations were brought in to close the field up. How surprised are you that that's happened? I think that the gap is between one team and, and the others. While the others are very, very close, uh, one team, and that is Red Bull, and uh, did an incredible job. And, 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 and uh, this is a job of meritocracy. So we need to consider that they did an incredible job. Uh, it is true that uh, you know, the gap seems to be big, but we need to be prudent because we know in life uh, things can change very quickly. The others are very, very close. If you look at the gaps of the other teams, so I think that they did an incredible uh, job, needs to be rewarded. So. Uh, as I said, uh, it's clear that uh, the, the aim of what we want to do is to make sure that this gap will stay as uh, smaller as possible. And I'm sure that the, the other teams are watching how they can catch up with, the, with their development in the context of the budget cap. It will be interesting to see if the, the, the development curve of the team that today is, is leading will slow down because at the end of the day they did a better job in the shorter term. So that will be very interesting to see in the next couple of months. Has changing the regulations mid-season crossed your mind to slow Red Bull down? Uh, I think it's not fair to say that. It's not correct because we cannot be seen as sport of manipulation. Uh, and this is not correct. And, and this is not fair, as I said. And uh, I'm not envisioning at all this kind of approach. So. Almost the best thing you can do is just leave the regulations the yeah. same and allow everyone to converge at the top. I think that's the right, uh, right approach now, also because the rules has been changed uh, not many years ago, and therefore this will happen for sure. Could more be done to help the teams at the back? Could you give them even more wind tunnel time? This is something that, uh, as I said, is a change of framework of, on the sporting dimension uh, that is not fair. So I would say F1 has been always a, a sport where there has been cycles, uh, where teams were very dominant and, and, and then uh, some other came in into the equation. So I would say our objective should be if you take the strategic approach to make sure that these cycles in the future will be shorter. Because that means that, you know, 20 cars, whatever they are, they will be really in the competition field. And this is what, as I would say, as a commercial I hold, but also as a love of the sport, would like to see. The man who won his first Grand Prix here in 2016 has swept them all away once again. Round the final corner for the final time. The Dutch driver will see the chequered flag first and it's win number 40 in Formula One for Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen wins the Spanish Grand Prix to win three in a row, lead every lap and dominate proceedings.
Let's talk drivers. Max Verstappen has already won more races for Red Bull than any driver in their history. You've worked with many great drivers yourself. How good is Max? Impressive. As a driver, you know, he's fully dedicated to, the, to that and, uh, you know, same breath as Schumacher, same breath as Alonso? I would say, I mean, the numbers are speaking by themselves. Uh, you know, what I don't like is to compare drivers of different generations because they come, the, the things are different, but for sure, for what I can see, you know, in terms of driving skills, in terms of approach uh, to the race, it's, it's impressive. And, and uh, of course, he has uh, an incredible car that uh, highlights his, his value, but uh, for sure is one of the best driver ever, that's no doubt. Is Max a difficult driver to manage? Because he's happy to speak his mind and his mind isn't always positive about this sport. He's said some negative things about sprint races, about his long-term future. Does that concern you? No, honestly, people have a short memory. I'm not concerned at all because it's part of not covering the personality of a driver. It would be wrong to cover. It's a matter of understanding and discussing. If someone is passing the limit, then has to be remember uh, which is the role of everyone. And uh, has not been the case. I mean, you can have different opinions, but at the end of the day, for certain decision, you know, I have the duty or we have the duty to take the responsibility of having the bigger picture. You know, in this sport, you need to consider that every one of us has a bigger role to play. And the growth of this sport, the growth of this business is connected to this vision. Sometimes, you know, and this is great, by the way, you know, our sport is the leader on how, you know, we engage our heroes that are the 20 drivers in the sport. Not that other platforms are engaging with the fans or with the sponsors or with the media or with everyone uh, so close with the race. So it's a great... Uh, uh, recognition on how everyone is involved in the growth of the sport and uh, and that's why I think this is something that we don't have to forget then of course everyone is in the right dynamic in the right consideration in the in the right uh, context can can express their consideration so I'm not worried because I think that they have a very good relationship uh, with the, with the, in this case with Max and, and we talk and as I said I will never interfere in, in his uh, choice of his future also because it's not me to have to take that decision. But if there is something that for the benefit of the sport I have to take and Max doesn't like, I will try to explain. And if you understand, I'm very proud and happy. If uh, he doesn't agree, fair enough, it's okay. And, and, and that's part of the game. Let's talk races now. Uh, in fact, let's start this section by throwing it back to something we were talking about earlier on in the podcast, uh, about your move to London and Actually, how much time are you spending in London? How much time are you traveling at the moment? Well, how many I'm, nights did you do away last uh, year? I don't remember, but I tell you, <laughs> if I take away the days where I'm at the Grand Prix, and as you know, this role requires you to be everywhere, there are also the, the trip that you go and uh, f do some other meetings to, the, to know new promoters, new possible things. You have some meetings with partners, sponsors that are becoming very relevant for the growth of the sport. So I would say the answer I can give you to you, Tom, is the other way around. I mean, when I'm not in these places, I'm always back to London because that's our office. That's my place where I live. It's great, to be honest. London is a great city to live. I'm lucky enough to live in the center close to the office where we have, that we have, that is uh, uh, divided in two. One is the operation in Beacon Hill and the other 
in St. James Market. And this is the life of uh, everyone that is doing my job. Well, let's talk about getting around the world for racing. What is the ideal number of races for you? I think that the number that we are we were targeting this year, but uh, due to the you know the reason that you know very well we didn't achieve. But uh, what we want to do next year is 24, and I think 24 is the right number, and is the number not because uh, is uh, let's say is uh, on air and we decide. Is the number that the it's the one that is required of the market. You know, it's a, it's is really I would say the right balance between that between the complexity of the logistics of the people that are working but uh, I would say this is the number on which we should target to be stable for a long time. We're chatting in Barcelona there's been a lot of chat this weekend about a potential race in Madrid is that a serious thing? I think for sure uh, as has been always very transparent which is my style with Barcelona it is true that Madrid uh, uh, wants to host a race in the future and no decision has been taken so far. That's another great sign of uh, the state of the health of Formula One. And this is it, the, the right competition uh, that will not involve at all any political discussion, only commercial and technical and sporting discussion will be taken in the next, uh, in the next couple of months. And for the best of Formula One, we will take the right decision. I'm sure about it, but we need to Remember that we still have years of contact with Barcelona and we are really very, very happy in the way that Barcelona is handling the, the future because, of course, this will has helped them to react, to push uh, for the improvement that is needed at all level, everywhere. So this is the situation and, and this, of course, is in a, in, a, in a moment where we have Fernando performing incredibly well and we have Carlos Sainz uh, you know, in Ferrari both of them are a lot of fans. We see the TV rating figure is growing incredibly well in Spain. So the market is, is very, very strong now. So never happened. And so that's great that we have this kind of opportunity for the future. There have been two races in Spain in the past. We had Valencia and Barcelona. Do you think it could support two races again? Or would, you've, no. would you rather only have one? I think no, because in that time, you know, the, the, the business was not so, so big. And we were still, I uh, was there, you know, uh, Euro European-centric uh, calendar. Today we are worldwide calendar approach with bigger, more races for sure. But I think that in Europe, uh, even in the future, I'm expecting to see races where the rotational principle could be applied, but not to in the same, in the same year. Can you tell us which races might be rotational? No, not yet. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, you will see, you will hear something that is not finalized. But for sure, there are already uh, talks with some of them that are very happy to discuss about it. And I think that this is something that uh, in, uh, in, the, in the next two years, we're going to clarify formally. Stefano, you are a student of the history of this sport. Just how important are those historical races for you? I'm talking about Monza, Silverstone, Spa. Do they give context for the new races? For sure it's very important that the historical races has their own personality. Uh, and and I'm, I'm laughing when uh, I hear people that are uh, 
saying, you know, for one is not respecting, you know, the historical places, historical races, is absolutely the other way around. You know, what, what I've always said that uh, the word historic has a greater responsibility, but uh, historic cannot be seen as an old and out of fashion place. This is not historical, it's old. And, and, and I think that what we want is to use uh, this incredible moment where Formula One is, is, is growing to make sure that everyone is doing the right thing. And that's it. You know, it's a matter of understanding that the world is evolving. You know, when you hear, and you maybe can be shocked, that uh, certain new generation guys or people that are now in love with Formula One do not have a clue or who was the driver of five years ago. Not 50, five. And uh, they don't have a clue on a certain technical element of what we are doing. It would be wrong not to recognize it. I'm not saying they are right. I'm saying that uh, we need to understand what is the right balance of the things that we need to take in, in order to take the, the right decision for the future. So historical races uh, will be always part of the calendar, but there is the need of, for some of them to recognize the step change that they have to do to, for example, work on the infrastructure. That is not changing the layout of traditional races, but you know, the fans are coming more and more with the different needs. And if you don't, you don't give them what they deserve, you know, it's not anymore historical, it's, it's out of context place where we shouldn't go. So I think that uh, I give you one example. If you remember, there were two years ago when there was the discussion, ah, oh, Belgium, is out the calendar. And by the way, the answer was Belgium is in the calendar. And, uh, but they react very well. They invested in, 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 in infrastructure that are uh, related to the best experience that we want to give to the fans. That's the right thing that we want to see from the place where I have this historic approach uh, or historical approach in terms of being always there. And, and that's really what will happen even in the future. If there's one race that does it really well. Which one would you recommend people, future promoters, go and have a look at? I think that the, you know, we have a lot of promoters that are doing the things in an incredible, positive way. I don't want to say someone, by the way, we're gonna reintroduce the award of the best promoter of the year at the end of the season with a matrix of evaluation elements that needs to be transparent. Because now, when you, do this kind of a consideration, you need to take on board a lot of things that they were not present before. The experience, the approach on sustainability, the, the, the value they're creating to the fans, uh, the, the extra things that they want to build on around the, the, the you know, F1 will be part of this assessment. But we have incredible partners. You know, the growth of the sport has been also thanks to, on what they did together with us. So, you know, I always say, at the end of the day, if you are pragmatic, F1 is just an IP business. Without the great push that we need to live together with the promoters, with the media, with the broadcaster, with the teams, with the sponsor, with the partners, you cannot do what we are doing today. So, great respect for the partner we have. The promoters are really uh, stretching as much as they can the, to improve the experience for everyone. So, uh, I would recognize that uh, everyone has uh, moved in the right direction. What about Las Vegas, end of this season? What is F1 going to do differently in Vegas? I think that uh, it will be another experience where uh, everyone wants to be or wants to come. 
in a place that is iconic uh, because I'm sure that the TV uh, spot that, that we're gonna share around the world of the start on the strip, you know, in the place where there is light uh, uh, more in the night than in the day will help also F1 to be promoted outside Vegas. Uh, it's a place where there is a lot of expectation, there is a lot of demands, and we need to make sure that uh, the group of people that are working with us, uh, that has an incredible, uh, once again, going back to the first point, responsibility to, to prepare an incredible event, will be seen as, a, wow, the, the event of the year, uh, because there is a lot of expectation. Uh, Rene Wilm, that is a head of uh, the Las Vegas Grand Prix Corporation, is doing an incredible job to prepare everything. Uh, the task is big because, you know, it's the first time since the 80s that we are going in the city of Vegas, being, uh, I would say, in the middle of the city because we are in the strip in the center without stopping the life of Vegas with the resort, with the casino. So you can imagine you know, what it's all about. It's really, it will be an incredible challenge, but I'm sure there will be an incredible uh, postcard that we're gonna uh, share all around the world. I was looking at the weather for Vegas, Stefano. It's gonna be quite cold. Yes. Was that the only weekend that was an option to stage the race? Yes. Okay. Because, uh, uh, it's very. It's simple. now or never. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I, as always, life there are opportunities to take when there is the possibility to do it. Consider one thing: the rate of occupancy of the rooms in Vegas. We are talking about more than 150,000 room in Vegas. It's uh, it's 98 uh, percent all the weekend of the year. That weekend, that is the weekend before the Thanksgiving, is a little bit lower but uh, n n n not so much. So if you want to be in a place where we can be hosted, we need to find a place where there is the uh, room available for us. Of course, we're gonna see that, and if there will be opportunity to move the dates uh, in the future, we will manage, we will see, but that's uh, the weekend we are gonna be there. It will be cool in the evening, for sure, but uh, you know, we have good jumper, we have good jackets, so that's, uh, that's where uh, we're gonna use them. Stefano, it's been wonderful to catch up. Just a couple more, if I could. First of all, Ross Braun. He's been a big influence in your life. First at Ferrari, of course, and then- a friend. A good friend. Worked with you at Formula One. He's taken a step back this year. How much are you missing his influence? For sure, Ross is, uh, has been uh, important for Formula One, above all in this step change of, of the growth of Formula One from the technical sporting perspective. You know, uh, for sure I miss my daily dialogue with him, but uh, Rost is still uh, with us in terms of strategic help and strategic thinking, and this is very valuable to me. Is he someone that you've just bounced ideas off? Is, he, is, is it almost a paternal relationship? I don't... Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's something that we... It's a good uh, uh, sparring partner to discuss and have a debate on uh, what you think... Uh, on what we think about uh, mainly technical things or sports and things related to our sport. But, you know, if it's, even, even if he's not done anymore formally as a business, uh, we, will, we are still doing, you know, in a, in a different way, but it's still, uh, this dynamic is still there. How are things between Formula One and the FIA at the moment? I think very good. I mean, of course, it uh, has been always clear to me that everyone has to do his own job and we need to be complementary to the exploitation of our business. Uh, I think that, you know, as you know, we had uh, some uh, 
discussion in the past. Now we need to make sure that uh, the common vision of uh, the better sport that we need to grow and to need to push is there. And, and uh, there is the, the wish, as it should be, from their, on their level to, to build on the right level of competence to manage you know, the, the regulator role that is not easy today because we have also added one element on top of the traditional one that is the financial one. You know, before it was just sport in technical safety. Now, you know, the control of the financial regulation is a massive task. And this is a, you know, a task that is giving also the credibility to the system we are putting in place with the financial regulation. So uh, they have uh, hands-on on this and therefore it's very, very important that they will, uh, they are doing, you know, the best job that they can. In a situation where this, as I said, has never been thought before, and now they need, uh, you know, to perform in a very, very complex uh, dynamic and context. You witnessed the Max and Bernie era. You've witnessed the Jean and Bernie era. You've witnessed the Jean and Chase era. How does the Mohammed and Stefano era compare? Well, we, of course, you're comparing with relations that were, has been very, very long in, long in, the, in the time. Uh, so I'm just starting uh, with Mohammed, who I know him um, since many, many years. Relation is very solid, and we feel the responsibility of shaping the next level of sport together for the future. So, uh, by the way, we are going to have lunch in, in just a couple of minutes together. Okay. Look, what's the biggest thing you've learned while being the boss of Formula One? Well, I'm not really a, a guy that is focused in, in learning the things that uh, while I'm living here as an F1 boss. I think that what I'm... What, uh, I didn't have any kind of extra need to think that it's like that. Is you need to always listen to the people. You need to always recognize that the dynamics can change from day to night. So you need to be always in a standby mode. So in a, in, if you call in a military world, then you have to be always in a scramble situation where you cannot really sit and uh, laying down thinking, okay, job is done. This is not possible. You're on duty 24-7. 100%. And what is your one golden rule? My golden rule is to be, you know, on duty 24-7, but always being loyal, transparent, and credible, with no compromise. On that, there's no space for any kind of things that is different for that. Stefano, thank you very much for your time. Great to see you again. Thank you, Tom. Thanks to you all. Stefano really is all of the things he's just described. He's been loyal, transparent and credible in everything he's done over the 25 years that we've known each other. And he has an incredible work ethic. Formula One is in safe hands while he's manning the tiller. And as with his family's move to London, Stefano sees opportunity in literally everything, whether it's dealing with promoters, negotiating a new Concord agreement, or simply talking to the media. There is opportunity everywhere for him. Stefano, it was fascinating to catch up. Thanks for your time, and I'll see you again very soon. So please send in your thoughts and stories about Stefano Domenicali. Tell me anything and everything about him, be it about his time at Ferrari or as the boss of Formula One. Let me know through all the usual means. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. 
Which brings me on to what you sent in about Neil Oakley after last week's show. Neil really is one of the sport's unsung heroes, and many of you appreciated that in him. Let's start with this from Juan Nell. What a legend of the sport Mr. Oatley is. Very humble and softly spoken. I loved this interview and the history he has not only had the privilege of witnessing, but actually helping to shape. Awesome. How beautifully put, Juan, and thank you for getting in touch. And what about this from Social 2 Racing? I was there, my first Formula One race, July 1979, for Williams' first win at Silverstone. My £35 grandstand ticket was dead opposite the pits. It was a tragedy to see Alan Jones pull in and retire, but Clay's win made up for it. I still have the paddock pass and I'm still a Williams supporter today. Well, that was the only time that Neil saw Frank Williams drink any alcohol after his first victory in Formula One. What a great story. Thank you very much for sending it in. And finally, why don't we head to Japan to hear from Dean Wilco. For a short time, I lived in Nagoya. And a friend of mine in Formula One used to tell me when McLaren were testing at Suzuka. I used to go down there and watch. Great days. Wow. The McLaren Honda test program, Dean. How lucky you were to witness new engine parts being tested before they were even raced. What a great story. Thank you. We'll leave it there for messages this week. But thank you to everyone who wrote in. And if I didn't have time to read out your message, please rest assured that I've read it. And please send in your thoughts and stories about Stefano in time for next week's show. Well, that's pretty much it for this week, everybody. Thank you for listening. A quick reminder that F1 Nation's preview of this weekend's Canadian Grand Prix with Natalie Pinkham and myself is out now. We're joined by legendary safety car driver Bert Maylander to mark 50 years since the safety car was first seen in Formula One at Mossport in 1973. Plus, there's a new episode of Formula Y available from Friday. Just search F1 Nation and Formula Y on your podcast app. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>